All right, well, we are, as a church, working our way through 2 Corinthians. And we've worked our way up to, we now come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I got to warn you, in chapters 8 and 9, do you know what it's all about? Two full chapters. It's about giving money to the mission of God. Did it just get awkward in here or is it just me? Right? Like, we got two full chapters about that. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, the church, the church talks about money all the time. They just talk about money too much. Not a redemption chapel. At redemption chapel, we talk about money the perfect amount. It's pretty bold, right? I got this from Pastor Jared, but, it, but it's spot on true. And the way I can say that is because we teach through books of the Bible. And so when the Bible talks about money, we talk about money. When it doesn't, we don't. The thing is that uh, the Bible does talk about it uh, a lot, right? Uh, now, the one thing I can say is I have never taught an elective sermon on money. What, what do I mean by that? These mini-series that we sneak in. Okay, my, money, my, my memory is crap, so I appealed to my memory called Shannon and asked her, and she said, I've never done an elective sermon on money. But we do talk about it because the Bible talks about it. Why does the Bible talk about it so much? Because money is connected to our heart, and God wants our heart. It's a big part of our lives. So now we're staring down the barrel of two chapters about money. Now, I got to tell you, when I plan out the, the preaching diet for a church, I take a book and break it down into, okay, in this chapter, how many sermons is that? And it depends on the chapter and the paragraphs and the themes and all that, and it varies. Sometimes there'll be one sermon on an entire chapter. Sometimes it'll be six. On average, I would guess it's around three times two. So what we're looking at is six sermons in a row on giving. Who's switching churches? Anyone? (laughs) So here's what I'm going to do, people, because I love you so much. We're going to get it done in three. We'll get it done in three. Here's what we're going to look at in chapters eight and nine. It's about giving. Today, I'm going to talk about your heart. It's all about the heart. Next week, Pastor Jared will talk about the personal benefit in your giving. And then thirdly, I'll come back and we'll talk about a plan. Very practical, having a plan. Now that you're so excited, let me, uh, <laughs> let me give you the context, at least remind you of the context of what's going on in the letter. If you remember, there is a famine in Jerusalem. People are starving The only way you could get food is you got to buy it, but they also had a financial problem because not only do you give taxes to Israel, but Rome has conquered you. You are paying double taxes. And so they are really desperate for help. So Jews from around the world would send money to Jerusalem for food relief. The problem is the church had just been born. These Christians, they believe in this false Messiah, Jesus. And so there's persecution toward Christians in Jerusalem. They would be denied the food assistance. So the only way our brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem would eat is that the church has to step up. The problem is the church was just born. The church is infantile. There's no global church. So what happens is Paul starts going around on these missionary journeys, spreading the gospel, planting churches city to city. As he does, he sets up the idea of giving offering, collection, whatever you want to call it, right? He, he sets up the idea. 
Now, granted, at first, uh, there were no pastoral salaries because there were no pastors. As the church grows, we see evidence of that in the New Testament. But they didn't have buildings and budgets. At first, it was just food relief for Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Now, as Paul goes on these journeys, at first, he doesn't do the collection. He just sets up the idea of the collection. He says, hey, new church, start putting it together. I'm going to go plant more churches. I'll be back. And that's what he does on these journeys. Now, some of those thoughts right there, I already shared with you when we went through 1 Corinthians. We got to chapter 16 at the end, and I shared some of that with you. And it was in response to that message that you guys gave $96,000 to the mission in Portugal. I'm so proud of you guys. That was crazy. That was crazy. Now what's happening is Paul is on his third missionary journey. He is revisiting all those churches he planted. And as he does, he says, it's go time. It is time to collect and and take this money and send it to Jerusalem. So his intention is after his, to wrap up his third missionary journey, he gets all the money with all these delegates. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks, but, and then he, he'll go to Jerusalem, deliver the gift. Paul's intention at that point is he wants to go on a fourth missionary journey to Rome, and then he intends to push on and go to Spain, at new territory, share the gospel there. It never happens. Who knows why? He gets arrested. He gets arrested, imprisoned, and later martyred. He gets beheaded for the faith, so that doesn't happen. But while he was on his second trip, that's when he planted the church in Corinth. Now, at first, the church in Corinth was probably really receptive to the idea. Like, they think this is a great, great plan to do this collection. But remember what happened. When Paul exited, then these rabble-rousers came in, these false apostles, and they frustrated the relationship between the church and Paul. As well, remember, they started to make bank off the church. So they're siphoning off these funds toward themselves. And the collection, the giving, stalls. But if you remember the last two weeks as we've been teaching through this book, I talked about conflict resolution. Pastor Jared talked about repentance. And so Titus has now brought good news to Paul. The church has repented. The relationship is restored. So now Paul goes back to that giving. And we're at chapters 8 and 9. That's where this comes in. Now, as we dig into it, what we're going to see is that Paul realizes that giving is first and foremost an issue, not of the wallet, but of the heart. And here's what I want to drill into over and over today. Your wallet neither directs nor limits your giving. Your heart does. Some of you don't like this message already. That's okay. Your wallet neither directs nor limits your giving. Your heart does does. So what Paul's going to do is try to inspire their hearts, not their wallets. And he's going to do it through the example of others. Look at this with me. Chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. 
And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. All right, so he gives them the example of the churches in Macedonia. That'd be Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, Berea, those churches. He gives them their example. Paul is actually writing from Macedonia as he writes this letter we're studying right now to the church south in Corinth. But here's the thing you need to know about the churches in Macedonia. They're poor. Uh, He says that in verse 2. He says they're extreme poverty. By contrast, Corinth was stupid rich. Some of that's because it was strategically located commercially. So if you see on the right there, the Greek peninsula, uh, I circled in red the twin cities of Corinth and Sencrie. They, they combined almost like this big metropolis, like almost one city. They bled together so much. And they were at this little point. So you see that sea that comes in from the west and then the Aegean Sea to the, to the east. And so there's this thin little strip of land connecting to the lower Greek peninsula there. It's called Achaia. Okay, so if you wanted to do any travel, commercial travel, north or south, you had to go through Corinth. It was strategically located to become rich. But it was not just that, but also if you wanted to go east-west, what would happen is ships that wanted to cut their travel time down would go in. You see that inlet, come that kind of finger of water coming in from the west? They would travel in there. They would get to this thin little strip of land. They would portage in Corinth, offload their goods. They'd be carried across that strip of land, put on another ship. In fact, sometimes what they did is they put the entire ship on logs and rolled it across and dropped it in the Aegean Sea. So that you get perspective, they, hundreds of years later, they built a canal. That's the Corinth Canal. You see, it's just a strip of land. So it's so strategically located commercially, Corinth was rich, very wealthy. So you'd naturally assume that they would give more, right? But here's the thing. Your wallet neither directs nor limits your giving, your heart does. And so by contrast, what Paul talks about in verse 5, he talks about these poor Macedonians who gave themselves first to the Lord. That was a heart issue. They gave themselves to the Lord. God had their hearts. They loved God. They loved the gospel. They loved mercy and forgiveness and grace and the kingdom and the mission. They loved eternity. And so the thing is, if you give your heart fully to God, trust me, your treasure will follow. And that's what happened with the Macedonians. So in verse 4, that's where he talks about that they begged Paul earnestly for the favor of participating in that offering. That's weird, weird language, right? They're they're poor and they're begging Paul to give more. 
Think about this. When a ministry is raising money, there's begging going on, right? But usually the begging's in the opposite direction. The Macedonians saw it differently. They begged Paul. In fact, did you know, look at the word favor. When you give money to the church, don't you kind of feel like you're doing the church a favor? The Macedonians saw that the opposite way. It was a favor to them that they could participate. Isn't that weird? By the way, the word favor there is the word grace. It's the Greek word for grace. It was all about grace. When you read through, and I'd encourage you, because we're going to do this thematically, I'd encourage you to read chapters 8 and 9 today. When you read through it, you'll notice the word grace just keeps coming at you. Nine times, depending on how it's translated into the English, but nine times roughly. In fact, what Paul refers to this collection as, he calls it an act of grace, an act of grace. So here's what's going on. The Macedonians had received grace in Christ. They were adopted as children of God. They loved grace. They knew it was grace that they were even a part of the global church. They knew it was grace that they had some money to live on. They knew that it was grace that they had money to give. And it was grace that they could participate in the collection. They knew it was more blessed, more graced to give than to receive. They loved grace. They loved receiving it. They loved giving it. And therefore, they saw it as a privilege, a favor to them that they could participate. And they begged Paul to let them give more. Isn't that wild? What verse 2 says is they, that it overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Now, that's an ironic phrase, right? A wealth of generosity. But what you see in the passage is that the the Macedonians had an abundance of joy by participating in grace. So what they did is they maximized their giving, not their having. Are you looking to maximize your giving or your having? They were maximizing their giving, not their having. And therefore, what they had was true wealth. Not, not the monopoly money of the world. They had true wealth. You see, sometimes money is really sticky, isn't it? It seems like the more you have, the harder it is to give. It's counterintuitive because money is really, really sticky. The more you have, you tend to think of life in terms of money. You trust in money. It's really hard to part with money. That money is yours. But sometimes when you have less, you don't trust in money as much, so it's easier to give generously. And I, I've actually personally experienced this as I've had the privilege to go on mission trips around the world and to meet some of our brothers and sisters in Christ who we would say are extremely poor. And the generosity is crazy. It's like they don't have much. They love to give. They give so much, it's, it's wild. They just love it. Why? Because your wallet neither directs nor limits your giving. Your heart does. That's what's going on. And so the Corinthians are relatively rich. The giving had stalled. The Macedonians are relatively poor and they were begging to participate and knocked it out of the park. Now, did you notice, unless you think I'm like going to try to twist arms here or something, like look at verse eight there at the end. Paul says he, he's not giving a command. 
He's not using apostolic authority to try to force them into some religious practice of giving. That's not it. Because he knows people give from their hearts, not their wallets. So what he's trying to do is inspire heart change in the Corinthians by the example of the Macedonians. That's what he's doing. But money is sticky. <laughs> Let me show you money is sticky. I've been talking about rich and poor, Macedonians, Corinthians, all that. You all think you're Macedonians. You all think you're poor people. And, and so here's the thing. Everybody agrees rich people should give, right? We all agree rich people should give. Everyone also thinks they're poor. See the problem? Gallup showed this. Gallup did a poll and they showed that everybody believes rich people are those who make twice as much as they do. Very cons- If you make 30 grand a year, you think rich people are those who make 60 grand a year or more. But if you make 60 grand a year, you don't think you're rich. 120 grand a year or more, those are the rich people. And it goes consistently up the scale such that if you make a million dollars every year, you don't think you're rich. You think rich people are those who make two million a year or more. Everybody agrees rich people should give. Nobody thinks they're rich. Do you see the problem? Maybe it's not an issue of the wallet. Maybe it's an issue of the heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because your, your wallet neither directs nor limits your giving. Your heart does. Are you rich or poor? Okay. Let me help you understand which side of the line you're on. Uh, if you live in America and have $50,000 of combined annual household income, Okay, I'm not just saying you make 50 grand, but if you're a dual income household, you add those two salaries together. If you clear 50 grand a year and live in America, ready? You're in the top 1% of the world's wealth. That's all of you. You're in the top 1% of the world's wealth. You think you're poor and you don't have enough to give. Maybe it's a heart issue. Right? And that's what Paul's going after. I'll give you another example. Tim and Jill. So when Shannon and I graduated from college, uh, after a year, we went on staff with a ministry that works primarily with college students. It was one of those deals where we had to raise our own financial support from people so that we could do that, that mission. And as we did, we were shocked at times by people who seemingly had a lot of resources and, and were really stingy and didn't, didn't give. But then there was Tim and Jill. So Tim, I actually discipled Tim in college. He was a couple years younger than I. And so when we graduated, he was still in college, undergrad. But he got married during that time. So he and his wife, Jill, who were in college, had no income. They lived in this tiny apartment right off campus. It was actually like, remember, it was this dank, small, little apartment. And we're like, we ain't asking them. Let them graduate and get real jobs. We'll ask them in a couple years, all right? Tim and Jill got mad. They called us up and said, hey, when are you coming over? We weren't, well, how about Friday night? Come on over for dinner. We went over to their little apartment uh, and they begged us for the favor of participating. They they actually said, we've already talked about, we've decided we're going to start giving you 50 bucks a month. Now, know this, that was three decades ago. 
When you translate that into $20-23, that's $105 a month. They had nothing. What's going on? Listen, people, you don't give from your wallets, you give from your hearts. And that's what Tim and Jill did. They begged us. And this is my desire for our church, for Redemption Chapel. Instead of the pastors begging you to give more, I want to set your heart on fire for Jesus and on fire for his gospel, where you just love him with your whole heart, that you have an insatiable craving for grace, the the kingdom of grace. And then I want to let you see 44 baptisms. And bonus Sundays with the redemption stories and all the ministry that goes on through this place. Alpha and divorce care and divorce care for kids and premarital mentoring and and then counseling and youth and next and men's and women's ministry. Addiction recovery and foster care and the journey app and community groups. I recently heard from Pastor Sean that we now have 39 groups with 632 people in them. All the community life that's going on there. Like it, it just, and then I want to hear you go, wow, pastor, can I please give more? And, and you give so much that I have to take you aside and say, stop, too much. You got to take your giving down a peg. You see, that's heart because your wallet neither directs nor limits your giving. Your heart does. That's what Paul's saying. In fact, he's going to try to drive it home with a second example. And for this, he's going to play the trump card. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Yeah, that's the trump card. <laughs> he goes with Jesus. Let's, here's a question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love the gospel? Do you love his kingdom? Do you want to be like Jesus? What did Jesus do? Did he protect himself? Did he hoard? Or did he give? I mean, you know the answer. He gave up wealth. He became poor. From the splendor of heaven, he came to the squalor of a broken planet. I love that line in the song that says, from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. That's what Jesus did. And why did he do it? He did it so that we could have spiritual wealth. Do you love that? Do you love grace? Do you want to be like that? That's what Paul's saying. Where, listen, where do you put your hope? I got to be honest with you. I am patently uninterested in your Sunday school answer. Okay? Where do you put your hope? And your giving or lack therein will display the true answer. That's a biblical reality. What is life all about for you? Is it about Jesus and his kingdom and the things of God and eternity? If so, your giving will reflect that. Or, or is life really about the American dream for you? And if so, your giving will reflect that despite what your religious lips say. Because your wallet neither directs nor limits your giving, 
Your heart does. So about this <clears throat> verse about Jesus here, there's a pastor named Ray Fowler who uh, followed up with a pretty good quote. I, I want to read this to you. Is it quiet in here this morning? It feels quiet to me. We'll keep moving. <clears throat> Here's what Fowler said. He said, your giving reflects the sincerity of your love. If you say you love God and others, and yet you don't give to God and others, what does that say about how sincere you are in that love? Let me give you an example. Can you imagine if John 3.16 read this way? For God so loved the world that he gave nothing. What would that say about God's love? Or for God so loved the world that he gave a Reese's peanut butter cup. God owns the whole universe, and if that were the extent of God's giving, you would probably doubt the sincerity of his love for you. But what does John 3.16 actually say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, now you know that God really loves you. He gave his own son to die for you on the cross. Now you know the sincerity of God's love. Well, in the same way, your giving reflects the sincerity of your love. Generous giving equals generous love. Stingy giving equals stingy love. It's a tough truth to swallow, but an important principle to understand. It is a tough truth to swallow. Uh, but we are supposed to be so in love with our Lord Jesus Christ that we want to be like him. And so we've got a decision to make. Do we want to, as quote-unquote disciples of Jesus, do we want to live by Christ's values or the culture's value? And if we're honest, most, even in this room, would say something like, I want to be a Christian, but I also want to keep up with the non-Christian Joneses. And what do we say about keeping up with the Joneses? Heck with the Joneses. It's not the way I put it, but I'll take it. I'll take it, right? Look, if you walk with Jesus, I want you to know something. You will be three steps behind the Joneses. Because if you faithfully walk with Jesus, he's going to call you away from debt. He's going to call you to saving and he's going to call you to giving. And so the Joneses who make the same amount of money as you, you'll be three steps behind them in terms of possessions. Get used to it. You can't make a difference unless you live different. Is your goal to give sufficiently and live extravagantly? Or is your goal to give extravagantly and live sufficiently? That's a kingdom way. Or here's another way to get at it. In your heart, and when you think about it, is giving, is giving like taxes or investment? Think about taxes. We hate taxes. And our goal is to minimize taxes and do the least possible. Is that giving? Or is it investment? Investment is, man, this is going to be a huge return. I love this. I'm going to invest in this. This is going to pay off. I hope I can give more to this. Is giving taxes or investment? Folks, um, I, I made a decision in my heart this week to just be very, very plain with you. Uh, 
you got to make a decision what life is all about. Is life really, I mean really in your heart, is it about our great, great, great God? And the fact that he created all of this, and then we screwed it up in the fall and sin, and, and then he was not, that, that resulted in separation, eternal, eternal separation, that's hell. And he wasn't satisfied. So we have the incarnation of God as Jesus Christ. We have the crucifixion. We have the resurrection. He ascends into heaven. The church is born. The mission of the gospel. Jesus is coming back. He'll wrap it up and it's all eternity. Is that what life's about? And if you really think so, your giving will show that. Life is about Jesus and his gospel and his kingdom and eternity and discipleship and mission. I got to be honest with you. I don't want your giving. I want your hearts. I want you to have hearts in love with God, pure hearts, holy hearts, discipleship hearts, growing hearts. I want your hearts. I want you to get home someday and hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant. Great stewardship on earth, well done. And I view it as my role as your pastor to lead you and teach you to live in such a way that 1,000 years from now, when you are alive, you are not disappointed by how you lived on earth during these 70, 80 years. That's my job. And if you think that's going to happen without an impact on your giving, you're foolish. It's not. I want your hearts in love with Jesus, in love with the gospel and the kingdom and the mission, and then your giving will work out. Do you know why? You should see this coming by now. Your wallet neither directs nor limits your giving. Your heart does. I'll give you one more example. William Borden. So William Borden graduated from high school in 1904, a little while back. Uh, he was the heir to the Borden Dairy Estate. Back then, that's big, big money. So when he graduated from high school, he was already a millionaire. Now, I don't know how many millions, but listen, even if it was just $1 million, in today's money, that's $34 million. High school grad with $34 million in his pocket. So his parents gave him a... Uh, graduation gift. And as uh, it was to a trip around the world. So he visited Asia and the Middle East and Europe. And as he was on that trip, God burdened Borden's heart for the people of the world and the gospel mission going to them. So he wrote home and told his parents that he's going to give his life to, to Christian missions. I'm going to guess they weren't thrilled by the idea, but that's what he said. Before venturing into missions, when he got back after the trip, Borden started giving away money like, like crazy. Gave hundreds of thousands. Again, you've got to adjust that to today's dollars. Hundreds of thousands of dollars to Christian ministries. Meanwhile, he refused to buy himself a car because he called it an unjustifiable luxury. Unbelievable. So one friend said that Borden is throwing his life away. And after that, Borden took his Bible and he wrote in the back of his Bible two words. He said, no reserves. No reserves. God's called me to give. I love it. And no reserves. His heart was in. No reserves. 
So then he went off to school at Yale. After graduating from Yale, he got tons of very, very lucrative job offers. Turned them all down. After that, he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. No retreats. Burn the bridges. I'm not going back. No retreats. So then he went to Princeton Seminary. And after completing his studies, he decided to sail for China to do missions among Muslims. That sounds easy, right? Sure. His first stop, though, was in Egypt to get some training there. While in Egypt, he got cerebral meningitis and he died in a month. (laughs) When they found his Bible, two more words. No regrets. I want to live like Borden. I want you to live like Borden. Make no mistake. Borden is very much alive today in the presence of Jesus. How do you think Borden feels about how he lived his life? Do you think he has any regrets? No way. No way. No regrets. And it's about the heart. Because your wallet neither directs nor limits your giving. Your heart does. And I got to let you know, the heart goes through three stages. First, it's I just want the world's stuff. Then you get to I want God's stuff and the world's stuff. Few get to the position the Borden did, I just want to give all my stuff to God. That's where Paul wants to take us. And if we're honest, most of you are probably stuck in the middle category there. It's a hard truth to hear, but reality is your friend. You're probably saying, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. I look forward to eternity with Jesus, but I really hope in the American dream. That's what I really want with a little sprinkle of Christianity on top, but I don't want God jacking with my stuff. So we apply ourselves to houses and cars and Money and vacation and retirement and TVs, the latest iPhone, whatever it is, clothes. We really apply ourselves to that stuff. And and we don't apply ourselves to Jesus and the kingdom and the mission and eternity. We are trying to maximize our having, not maximize our giving. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. That's a heart problem. The, The problem is not that you have money. The problem is that money has you. And that's bondage. And God loves you enough. He wants to free you from that bondage. It's a heart problem. He wants your heart. And one of the things pastors do is they try to waste a lot of energy trying to coerce money out of cold hearts. And it's a fool's errand. And just... What I want to do instead is I want to turn your hearts on fire for Jesus and let the giving work out. Like Borden, the giving will work out. Now, I know it's a convicting message, but listen, we're all at different places. Wherever you are right now with God, that's fine. I don't care where you are now. I care about where you are tomorrow. I want you to, I'm not looking for perfection. Can you make progress? Can you grow? But hear me clearly. Don't tell me Jesus is your Lord and it's not reflected in your giving. That's just not a thing. It's not a thing. It's religious deception. 
then I need to free you from that. Dang, it is quiet in here. So um, how, how are we going to apply this? I am not asking you to do a thing about your giving today. I want your heart. I want you to get your heart right with God. That's what I want. I want you to love God. I want you to love people. I want you to love his mission. I want you to love eternity. I want you to love the kingdom. I want you to trust God, make him Lord, and then giving's going to work out. Of course, I mean, like if you do all those things, you know it's going to impact your giving, right? Do you know why? Come on now. It's because this thing doesn't work. Because your wallet neither directs nor limits your giving, your heart does. Let me pray for you. Father, uh, we are so thankful as your kids that as we read today, you gave to us. You were not stingy. You gave us what we didn't deserve. You let Jesus become poor that we might become rich. And we are so grateful. And we admit before you that we are so enamored by this fallen world, wrongly so. Really, we're really poor at times at following his example. Would you, would you get after our hearts today, please? And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.